Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is The Rob Black Show. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Don't be shy with your questions, thoughts, anything that you have in mind that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Drop me an email, Rob at Rob Black Show. It's Rob at Rob Black Show. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Early action has a lot of what happened yesterday as far as where we are in the market. We had seven up days in a very short period of time. We've had an uptrend in a middle turn period of time. We've had a little bit of a correction a year ago. It was actually a bear market. It was a little bit more than a little bit, but we're going to stay with that for now. Tech is working today. Everything else is kind of going sideways. So a lot of action from yesterday is repite, repite, again, again. Whether you had a dance instructor, a Spanish teacher, it's all about reputation. Uh, Repetition, repetition. You see where my head's at today. So yesterday, nothing really special. Um. Dow was down six-tenths of a percent. S&P 500 was down one-quarter of a percent. NASDAQ was a slight winner due to names like Apple and Google. Stocks can't go up forever is the phrase that pays. Seven straight days of closing at record highs. The S&P 500 will drop. It's normal. It's healthy. It's regular. Regular. <laughs> Reminds me to take some Metamucil, right? DD stock fell yesterday hard, showing you that China can be kind of a tough place to do business. I know you see the billions of people. I know you see a rising middle class. But it's tough to do business. If the government sets you in their sights that they don't like you, it's tough to do business. It would be almost um, like Biden saying, we're going to shut Facebook down for a month. And you're like, what? And then it's pulled from all the stores the next day. You'd be like, and then – their shareholders would revolt because they're not getting any average. You get the idea. The Jedi contract. Yes, the thing that is going to be built to destroy a Death Star. I assume a Death Star is being built. The Pentagon yesterday said it's scrapping its $10 billion Jedi cloud computing contract with Microsoft and replacing it with another one that will require multiple vendors. Bit of a loss for Microsoft. That goes back to the Trump administration where they didn't seem to like Amazon and Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post all linked together. So the Jedi contract took so long to get off the ground that ultimately it spoiled. And with a shifting technology environment, it's become clear the Jedi cloud contract, which has been delayed, will no longer hit fit the requirements of the Department of Defense. And what we're spending on, it's actually kind of, I think, a good thing from a, 
U.S. perspective, if we're going to be spending $10 million of taxpayer money, try to get the technology right, even if you have to take your time. So next generation warfare, Star Wars puns will abound. The goal of the Jedi Project was to upgrade the Pentagon's IT systems, allowing the Department of Defense to streamline its vast troves of data and lay groundwork for greater utilization of artificial intelligence. You see all these movies about AI in movies and how it's a soldier of the 21st century battlefield and he's controlled by the government. That would never work right now. Our government is so muddled with with average and complacent computer systems. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Um, And it's always been the name of the game for the military, by the way, is that we're just as cutting edge as we can be. We're we're using a lot of legacy systems for a lot of time. Starting September. September. What? Did I have a stroke starting July 13th? You can add smashed avocado and fetch mozzarella to your five foot long footlongs, five dollar footlongs, five foot long dollar, five dollar footlongs. That's what we're trying to say. And I like the way I say that. So Subway's trying to make over their menu. And it's kind of, I blame you millennials. I get the fresh mozzarella. That's lovely. But smashed avocado, really? Really, is that the best you have, Subway? Um, Trying to change their image. That is a franchise that is a mess. And interesting, you know, financial person. People will sometimes ask me or tell me, you know, I want to work for the city of Modesto or the city of San Francisco or the city of Vallejo. And then when I retire, I want to open a franchise like a Subway. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work being a, a, a franchisee. You have to hire people you trust or you have to do the work yourself. And I oftentimes see franchisees do the work themselves. Next door, I don't know if you've ever used this website. It's kind of um, – it's the it's the Facebook of nosy neighbors. And you'll hear someone go, y'all hear that loud boom? And someone will go, was that a gunshot? Was a gas pipe blowing up? So they're coming public now in a $4.3 billion SPAC. And what's interesting to note about it is the only thing I could find compelling about Nextdoor is advertising for groceries. So the advertising on Nextdoor, not a profitable company. They lost $75 million last year on $123 million in revenue. Think about that for a second. <laughs> Man, that's not good. It's not a lot of revenue with a huge amount of loss. Company reported a 50% year-over-year increase in daily active users. So people are getting invested in it. One in three U.S. households are on the app. I've been on the app, but I don't think I've ever used it other than – I don't think I've ever used it. And it's pretty interesting when you are on it because uh, people bitch and moan. And (laughs) I guess that's kind of like the – like I said, it's the Facebook for, for nosy neighbors. 800-516-1220. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Uh, average viewership on MSNBC, CNN, and Fox fell 38% from one year ago. Okay, let me say that one more time. MSNBC, which I guess we'll say is the liberal station. CNN, I think we could say is opinion, leaning liberal. Fox is opinion, Republican conservative um viewership fell 38 percent year over year 
So guess what Fox is going to do? Are they going to get some long, leggy blondes? Are they going to get some sensational news journalists? Now nah, they, they, they're starting a weather channel. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Go to where the action is because the weather channel audience grew 7% year over year. What's up with that? Well, it doesn't take a lot to see the, the disasters out there and go, I kind of want to watch. It's kind of like the nosy neighbors of, um, yeah, why am I dropping next door? I was thinking back door. Come in the back door. No, come in the next door. That's right. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. It's Rob Black Show. I publish a weekly market commentary with Adam Phillips from EP. We took a week off this week due to the Monday holiday. We'll start back up with the following Monday, but you can look at past commentary. It's really good insight into what's working with the stock market now and why. You can check it out at Rob Black Show under YouTube, YouTube Rob Black Show. Subscribe and uh, that'll give me a cookie. An education first approach to managing your money. This is the Rob Black Show. Today, Patrick O'Hare started off with some thoughts on interest rates and where the market is. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. Doing fine. Thanks. Good to be back with you. Um, dogs, dog days of summer. Are we looking for a rally um, after seven up days, seven record closes. Yesterday, it kind of took a bit of a breather. Dog days or rally into the end of the year? Well, I think uh, before we get to any potential rally, um, okay. I think we have to maybe run through a, a consolidation period here. Um, and, you know, one of the interesting dynamics that's unfolding right now is is what we are seeing with interest rates and specifically long-term rates. Uh, they have fallen sharply off their highs from the year. And, um, and it is somewhat... Um, Oh, uh, confounding for a lot of people when you when you recognize that the drop in long-term rates has occurred in the face of some very hot inflation prints, right? Um, and so the kind of the the layup in terms of the explanation for that is that the market is uh, essentially agreeing with the Fed that these inflation pressures are going to be transitory, uh, and that uh, and that uh, a slowdown in economic growth is going to feed into that. Um, into the slowdown in inflation. And so I've seen a lot of buying interest come in at the back end of the Treasury curve, uh, some of which would have to be attributed to short covering activity given the bets early in the year, certainly that rates were destined to head higher because of the um, uh, reopening um, acceleration. It's interesting yesterday. I brought it up and I didn't hold on to it for the whole day, but I noticed the move on the 10-year treasury to 1.4 and I was like, is that a sign that the bond market knows something six months down the road? Um, But then I started thinking about it. The bond market's more real-time. The stock market's more of the discounting mechanism. Um, Is that 1.4, do you think that's just the short covering or could it be a sign of something more ominous that smart money knows about? Well, interestingly enough, today we hit 1.29. Wow. <laughs> so, um, I even so you, uh, yeah, we've had a had a big move down this morning, um, and you know, you kind of dealing with some of the same narratives, right? With um, you know, Delta variant perhaps slowing global growth. Um, just the idea that you know, U.S. growth is uh, is has peaked, and uh, and that it's you know destined to decelerate from here, and then. Some of the, you know, yesterday's action with the moderation in the ISM non-manufacturing index contributing to that to that slowdown concern. But 
Um, it, it, you know, what I was going to allude to earlier, and I'm sorry I lost my train of thought along the way, but with the drop in, you know, in, in long-term rates, you know, one of the interesting dynamics that you've seen a rotation back into those kind of like those high-quality growth stocks, right, the mega cap mm-hmm. names. Um, but you're not seeing a, um, you know, a, a, a major uh, rally now, given that rates have come down again so sharply. Uh, and it does make one wonder if, if you know, perhaps maybe the growth uh, slowdown will be will be more pronounced than some people think, and that that's what the treasury market is is foreshadowing. And uh, potentially, if that's the case, then uh, then you have to step back and ask yourself, well, are a lot of these stocks uh, ahead of themselves with earnings growth expectations and the multiple expansion that has been seen, and that you know might the stock market be setting up for some type of corrective activity, which could also be foreshadowed by what's going on in the treasury market right now. You know, the, the anticipation that the stock market is, is due for a correction, and therefore you're seeing some defensive positioning perhaps take root in the treasury market in anticipation of, of uh, maybe a not so uh, great period for stocks in the near term. You, 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 very interesting points you just brought up and a kind of follow-up question thought. Um, could the 10-year treasury be saying we see a housing bubble and we're going to hide money there. Basically, rich people or wealthy Americans put in a lot of money in the safety of the 10-year treasury. Could the bond market be seeing that the stock market is frothy and the housing market is frothy? And it's showing us, hey, we're already set up to protect. Or again, right. it could be oil. It, it, it's so many things, but it, it almost seems that obvious to me. Yeah, you know, and, and housing, of course, uh, I mean, this has been extraordinary, you know, the, the price gains you've seen in, in the housing market. And, uh, you know, interestingly, though, you know, you're now at kind of hitting a point where um, where affordability pressures are, are starting to pop up. And, and, you know, you kind of see it in the mortgage applications index, um, you know, even though um, – um, there's a lot of demand out there, you know, or supposedly you're seeing uh, purchase application volume decrease on a year-over-year basis. I think today's reports show that it was down 14% year-over-year. Uh, that is driven in part by the lack of available supply, but at the same time, it's also uh, uh, attributed to the fact that prices have risen so high as well, and therefore the ability to qualify for a mortgage uh, becomes more challenging for um, uh, for first-time buyers, essentially, and, and for other buyers as well. So you're not seeing, uh, even though you've seen a nice backup in, in, in treasury yields here, you're not seeing, you know, uh, um, a lot of new demand, if you will, even for refinancing uh, activity. And that was the, the kind of the, the takeaway from today's uh, mortgage applications index report. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I can see your point, Rob, in terms of, you know, the treasury market looking at things kind of uh, needing to come off the boil, if you will. Things got so hot in so many respects that uh, the trajectory seems unsustainable. And now you're in that period of uncertainty that, okay, well, you come off the boil, but, you know, how cool will things really get? You know, are we just going to sort of lower the temperature a bit and still run fairly hot? Or, you know, do things really actually, you know, go into a frost, right? And uh, and because there's the uncertainty around how that uh, trajectory is going to go, 
yeah, you get somewhat defensive and you kind of just rotate, I think, into some, some safer havens. And, you know, and I would note that the dollar, you know, has been doing fairly well of late, too. It's been strengthening uh, probably on some safe haven flows, too, along with, um, you know, growth rate differentials. Even though growth in the U.S. might be poised to decelerate some, you know, we're still looking good, comparatively speaking, to other major economies. I've monopolized your time up to this point. We've got about two or three minutes left. I'm speaking with Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international content, especially tied towards the business news. I start my day every day with it. Is there anything that you're working on now or that you see in the market that you want to make us aware of? Well, we're about ready to roll into the uh, second quarter earnings reporting season. And, uh, you know, again, as we kind of talk about how great things have been and yet, you know, the market is uh, and yet you, you see interest rates coming down, you know, right now. And, and according to facts that, you know, the consensus growth estimate, the S&P 500 earnings for the second quarter is running about 63 percent year over year. Of course, we're comping against a very easy comparison to last year. But notwithstanding that high growth rate, you know, you're not seeing a lot of uh, ballast of late in some of these value and cyclical names. Um, and I think there's some hesitation because of some concern that maybe you might start hearing more companies talk about profit margin pressures in the back half of the year, uh, which would then in turn play into the peak growth narrative and, and prompt some questions about just how much more you're willing to pay up for every dollar of earnings at this point. And so, um, so it's going to be a very interesting period, likely to be working on a, on an earnings preview this week for the big picture column. With earnings season coming up, um, where do you want to see the market leadership? Is it the financials? Because they should lead our economy, giving out good loans, giving out good service, uh, responding to the interest rate environment, maybe fewer failures and loans handed out to customers or do you want to see like the big tech we're making the billions of dollars in profits are there is or maybe it's the small caps you're looking for maybe it's international you want to see them chip in what sectors are you looking at or what how does this all work together in your mind well in light of what we discussed today what would be ideal i think coming out of this second quarter earnings reporting team is to see leadership reemerge from those cyclical names right um that would go a long way to laying some of the, the recent concerns that, you know, we've, we've hit peak growth and that things are going to slow sharply. Um, I think what you need to hear from those cyclical companies is that, yeah, things are going to slow down, but they're not going to slow down that sharply. And therefore, perhaps, you know, that could reignite some interest in, in those names uh, in, in terms of being in a leadership position. So um, we obviously have some nice leadership right now from those mega cap, high quality tech names, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and like. Um, but uh, ideally, I think what you really want to see is, is some reacceleration in the cyclical stocks coming out of that second quarter earnings reporting season. Thanks for joining me. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Always insightful. We don't script any of this, and he does that all off of his head, knowledgeable insights into how the economy works with the stock market. I really dig it. I really enjoy it. I think there's a lot there. I typically go back when we're editing the show into the podcast, and I like rehearing his segment to the point of I almost want to make it the first segment. Um, he's that. He's all that in a bucket of chicken. Speaking of bucket of chickens, <laughs> I know you're saying that's a transition. Top-rated restaurants, fast food in America, coming in at number five. Five Guys, number four, Starbucks, number three, KFC, number two, Domino's, number one, Chick-fil-A, The Losers, Wendy's, Sonic, Popeye's, Jack in the Box, and the worst, 
ranked fast food company in America, McDonald's, probably the best investment. I'm Rob Black. Resources to help you manage your money. Visit robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Stocks are rising today, kind of. As the Fed minutes await and oil bounces. I'm not saying we're in a transition period. We're in that period now, not of the transition to inflation, but the fingers crossed of the inflation that we see moderate throughout the summer. It's going to be interesting to see if we're able to pull that off in large part because companies are reporting data that shows inflation. American Airlines said it flew three times as many passengers over July 4th weekend compared with 2020. Now, that doesn't sound impressive to me. I forget where we were one year ago. I know there were some people who were happy to travel. American Airlines said it flew 2.7 million people over the July 4 holiday, almost three times as many as last year. They said they operated more than 26,000 flights, more than double its capacity a year ago. They didn't provide a comparison to July 19. It's the comparison I want to see. I think that's kind of the world we're living in at this point in time, the 2019 economy versus the 2020 economy versus the reopening and the year after the reopening. It makes comparisons utterly useless um, unless you take it into context. I truly believe, and I won't make a career out of this, but I think investing is about comparison. Uh, when you learn how to compare and you can get a comp and you can chew on it and figure it out, uh, you can look at Amazon versus Walmart. You can say they have almost exactly identical sales. You can say Walmart's got a lot more buildings that they have to pay rent on. You can say Amazon's got a lot of infrastructure that is set up for the future. But it's about comparison, price to sales ratio, price to earnings ratio, how much debt, Average hourly compensation for their employees. Big headline right now, wealthy Americans snap up vacation homes and, and invest in a change of scenery. That feels about right. And again, who gets screwed here? It's the millennials who haven't bought a home yet. Not only do I have one home, but I have a second home and you still have none. Wow. Um, not great to be a millennial, but I get it. I think people have... Uh, come through the pandemic, and they wanted to pamper themselves a little bit. Sales of existing homes in counties with at least a 20% share of vacation homes rose by an average of 24% in 2020, more than double the 11% increase in counties that don't have a large volume of vacation homes. In other words, vacation homes are the hottest segment of the hot pandemic housing market. I get it. Vacation home definitions, let me throw this down because I, I think it's kind of fun. They're counted as one where vacant homes for seasonal, occasional, or recreational use account for at least 20% of the housing stock. Can you imagine being a, a realtor last year in a hot vacation market where for years and years and years you were semi-retired, you'd play golf in your vacation area? On occasion, someone would die and sell a home. On occasion, someone would move into the area. Uh, 
areas that I don't consider nice or luxury, like Granite Bay, they're considered nice and a luxury compared to the peninsula, which is very, very crowded. So I'm seeing friends move to Granite Bay. Um, I had bought a home in the Tahoe area a few years earlier because my kids hit that age where they need some vacation time. They need some downtime because uh, I think the pressure of being a teenager, it's not crazy, but I think it's there. And I think companies like Facebook aren't helping. So surprise to you or not, wealthy Americans are snapping up vacation homes and they're investing in a change of scenery. And that's what's driving a very hot market. And again, um, it's interesting to know, like the Tahoe area, they hate, they hate how many people that are moving there. But they're moving there with increased home cost and they're getting that Prop 13. Not a good deal on it. They're paying full price and that Prop 13 is funding the schools and the police and the other infrastructure. So it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, which is my opinion when it comes to finance, there are no right answers. There's just compromises. You may love Reaganomics. You may love Trumponomics, Obamanomics. You may love Bidenomics, whatever. I don't care. I'm not that political. But I'll tell you, there's only compromise. You may think that your system works for you, but it doesn't work for someone else. You may think your system works for you, but it, it draws away from something else. It, it, otherwise, we'd see a country somewhere in the world in a utopia. And I think the closest thing we have to that is the Vatican. And let's just say, whoops, let's not use them as a comparison. Vatican City is kind of awesome with a crazy amount of like, how did they pull that off? That's what I want to know. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, Facebook, all are trading higher. There's a little bit of a, let's get back in after they had a crazy 2020 first six months of the year wasn't exactly wonderful to all those companies. But there's also some buying of financial stocks today. You've seen financial stocks shoot up, eh, I would say, in the first quarter of this year, then take a little bit of a break, and they're starting to move again, in large part due to the yield curve dynamics, but also because higher interest rates in an improving economy should bode well for fewer loans collapsing, as well as more loans being taken on so the financials are looking attractive the average retirement savings increased 13 percent year over year this is kind of a nice story to end the segment with up to ninety-eight thousand eight hundred dollars so during the pandemic i want to give you a little golf clap right now both personal savings and retirement nest eggs have grown year over year your personal savings grew from 65900 to 73100 while the average retirement jumped from 87000 to 98800 So across the nation, we're still reeling from financial instability from during the pandemic. But there's evidence that people are back on their way and they're doing nicely. I like seeing that. Now, $98,800 for the average American saved for retirement isn't a lot. If you go take a look at a car, I think most mid-sized cars start somewhere around 30000 now. Um, you could probably get a little bit cheaper. You could probably get the teeny tiny little clown cars for 20000 
but you can easily spend sixty, seventy thousand dollars on a vehicle. How about a roof? Easily twenty thousand. So ninety-eight thousand eight hundred dollars in savings for retirement is not a lot. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. So to recap today's show so far, all the Americans are snapping up vacation homes and investing in a change of scenery. Very, very hot market for second homes still. What got me laughing was thinking about all those movies where we see like Doc Hollywood and yes, he's a boy from New York who gets stuck in a small town and the small town people don't really like him. Um, yes, I, that's, that has to be going on massively at this point in time. Lawrence Wan, National Association of Realtors, chief economist, said he expects vacation homes to remain a popular segment of the housing market given the continued work from home policies of many companies. That's something we're really facing right now as a nation of going back to work. Um, do you know anyone who's quit? Do you know anyone who doesn't want to go back to work? Rage quitting is a thing. I suggest not rage quitting. You can do a lot of things. Just be cool. I know you're saying, well said, Rob. Um, stories out there of note today in the world of finance. There's not a lot. We're in a little bit of the summer doldrums. So you kind of have to go with that on some levels. Taking a look at the markets, Samsung flagged 53% jump in second quarter profits. And that helped Apple get a little gasoline under their stock, pushing towards new all-time highs. So Samsung saying profits up 53% tells you that there was a strong demand for phones. What's good for the goose is good for the bigger, fatter goose. I know you're saying, good thing you didn't write uh, fairy tales, Rob, or nursery rhymes. Um, the ugly duck grows up to be the really ugly duckling in the world of stocks. So don't buy stocks because they're cheap. Very, very rarely do the GameStops of the world and the AMC movie theaters grow up to be beautiful swans. They just get to be really uglier ducks. Um, all the markets are in the red today, not going anywhere. We see another Mark Wahlberg-backed F45 targets over 1.5 billion valuation to U.S. IPO. Does that guy not touch um, how we how we say everything he touches turns to gold? F45 said they're aiming to sell 20 million shares. Um, it's doing that SPAC thing. It's worthy of note. Um, I bring up. Um, F45 and Wahlburgers as part of a, oh, okay. So I'm not big into falling for celebrity culture. I once dated a girl and she said that her and her previous boyfriend watched a lot of the Kardashians. I'm like, I'm out. Um, I just don't consume a lot of media and I don't really believe in celebrity culture. Um, it doesn't guide me in any way, shape or form. And in, when it comes to investing, I just say show a lot of caution. Um, and that's one of the things about the non-fungible tokens that are kind of upsetting me a little bit, freaking me out, is that I'm seeing a lot of um, interest in them with celebrity endorsements. My industry is kind of interesting. We're not allowed to have celebrities come on and endorse someone like uh, George Clooney can't go, my friend CFP Chad Burton is awesome. 
you can't do that. And even the fact that I did that, did I just make that creeped me out a little bit? Because I, I know you're, I'm confused. Everyone's confusing me with George Clooney. It's weird how they've put his head on my body. Um, but you can't do that. So I, I, anything that's celebrity endorsed, I kind of cringe over. <clears throat> anything that has a a feel to it that's along the lines of uh, um, infomercial, I kind of cringe to. Anything that a business asks you, hey, can you bring a friend or family member or get them signed up and you'll get a, a, a bonus or you'll make money when they make money. I've seen too many of those hurt people financially. Yesterday, Jeff Bezos, he retired. His wealth record climbed the day he retired. That's how you do it, ladies and gentlemen. He's leaving the rest of the world behind when it comes to wealth accumulation because the Pentagon moved to cancel the big deal on the Jedi contract, opens it back up to Bezos and Amazon. The world's richest man reached a record $211 billion net worth. What's shocking about that is he's divorced and a large chunk of his wealth went to her. No, no. And for the record, I want to say this very correctly. They split their wealth. He got the bigger chunk of it. He is the face of Amazon on so many levels. Elon Musk isn't too shabby right now. He's sitting at $210 billion. Can you imagine I bet I bet they look at their their phones before they go to bed and, and t- text each other and go ha more worth more than you today. Ten billion and two hundred eleven billion. I'll tell you what, if there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm not going to Vegas. I'm going to go find where Jeff Bezos is because uh, I think he can afford his own country and his own army. Mackenzie Scott Bezos' ex-wife, the fifteenth richest person in the world, saw her wealth jump yesterday. more billion. And she's trying to give it away at a record pace, which is a different type of, uh, not entrepreneur, but uh, when you give back to society, philanthropy, but uh, what I'm looking at is there's kind of a stage like the Gates Foundation. And now we're talking about Gates. It's just weird because all the stories about how he got nude at parties and got really drunk really fast and liked to cuddle when he was drunk. Now, when I say the Gates Foundation, it's tainted in my head, but they try to set up, we have this big chunk of change and we're going to make some money this year and we're going to invest that money off that big chunk of change. And instead of giving away the big chunks in philanthropy, they kind of drip the profits down to their their goals. Uh, so McKinsey Bezos is kind of going at it at a kind of different way. Um, McKinsey Scott, if I said McKinsey Bezos, forgive me. But again, that's their wealth and – I don't doubt anyone else for how they spend their money, but Jeff Bezos is famously cheap with um, charitable work to the point that you may think that he's like got autism or he's got some sort of problems emoting or showing his emotions. Um, Andrew Jassy, who took over for him, had to go behind his back and, and make sure that Amazon was giving money back to charitable donations through programs like Amazon Smile, which I don't know if you know, you can sign up if you have an Amazon account. You could set up the smile version of it, and then a portion of every transaction you do goes to your favorite charity. It could be your local school district. It could be cancer. It could be breast cancer. It could be, uh, you know, save the planet. So Amazon does have some philanthropy, but it wasn't Bezos who put it into place. Resources to help you manage your money. Visit robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com.